This is Sean Mandoli, and you're listening to the Hopeland Church Podcast. I hope you encounter God and walk in new levels of freedom as a result of listening to this message. Enjoy. What's up, y'all? Part five. Don't believe the hype. Let's jump into this. Let's get it going here. Excited to be here with you and preaching the word. We're concluding our series. This is it. Don't believe the hype. And once again, I'll be honest with you. I don't say this every sermon series. At least I don't think I do. But I strongly advise, I encourage you, go back and listen to these on our podcast, um, all the different platforms, pretty much every podcast out there. We're on there. Hopeland Church is on there. I'm telling you, this is a good one. It's going to help you uh, walk with the Lord in this world. And um, let's do it then. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to us, change us, baptize us in the Holy Ghost, fill us with the Holy Spirit, plant the seed of your word in our soul. In Jesus' name, we pray, Lord, that the light of your word shines the light inside of us and that the entrance of your word would bring light. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right, let's do this, folks. Let's jump in. We're going to jump right in. I got a lot of content, maybe not enough time to share it all, but let's jump in. And um, I hope you get fed today. All right, so let's do this. Um, here's our theme scripture for the month. Started out every weekend with this one, but here it is, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. Here we go. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Verse 14, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Right? So this message, this series is all about let's speak the truth of God's word. Let's speak the truth of God's word and expose the lies of the devil. Let's speak the truth of God's words or God's, of God's word, and expose the schemes of the wicked one. Let's speak the truth of the word and expose the spirit of the world, right? Hallelujah. So that's what we're doing here. We're going to expose the works of the enemy by God's grace through his word, and in doing so, empower us to walk with God. And so kind of in review, we're just kind of, Continuing on from last week, we talked a lot about identity. And, um, you know, the world says, I'm just reviewing a little bit because it's going to bring us right into what we're going to talk about today. But the world says, you know, create your own identity. It's a role you play. Pick one. Pick an identity. Pick anyone. Create it. Make it. Tell the world who you are based on what you think or whatever. And that's what you are. And we talked about how. We're not called to bear the burden of identity. We're called to receive the identity that God gave us. Right? We're called to, we're called to receive it. It's received, not achieved. I don't work for my identity. I don't muster it up. 
I receive what God has done for me in Christ. I receive the created order of God. And I say, thank you, Lord, for telling me who I am and showing me who I am. Right? Hallelujah. And so um, creating our own identity, playing a role, picking an identity, that's a horrible pressure. That's a horrible pressure, especially for our young people. Performing does not make us who we are. Saying something we are doesn't make us who we are. All right. Somebody say amen. Right? Your identity in Christ is received, not achieved. It's not up and down depending on how you perform. All right? The identity we receive in Christ, I'm still reviewing, the identity we receive in Christ does not exclude. Right? When we create our own identity, that gives us a, ba a basis to bolster our own self you know, bolster our own insecure identity and say, oh, you're not like me. Um, and I can look down on people, be prideful about my identity, the one I have created. But because our identity is received, we have no cause for pride. We can't exclude. We don't have that right to exclude. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay. And... This is the beauty, right, of, um, we're going to talk about this, this the, the beauty of Christian identity. And we're, we're, we're getting into this one now, okay? So I'm literally continuing from last week. But let me say this as a point, and then we'll get into some scriptures here. But the, the Christian identity is an enormous equalizer, okay? Our identity in Christ is an equalizer. It's amazing what identity in Christ, based on the eternal truth, that it is received, not achieved, is that it equalizes. Uh, let me read this verse here now. Uh, James chapter one, verse nine, it says, it says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Speaking of resources, speaking of monetary success here, and it says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Speaking of the rich, right? And so um, the rich Christian should think on his low position. Low position meaning what? That nothing I've done in society to make me rich or to give me this kind of socioeconomic social status has anything to do with Christian identity. You might've created that wealth to some degree, right? You might have created that, you, or you might have inherited it. You might have inherited this status in society based on skin color, neighborhood you grew up in, part of the world, whatever, right? Um, you know, that, that something in this world has somehow exalted you to some status. And the Christian identity says, hey, rich Christian, wealthy Christian, influential Christian, um, you know, glory in your humiliation. Meaning, like I said before, this Christian identity, man, this is a, an enormous equalizer. Why? Because the lowly is exalted. The exalted is humbled. And on a spiritual level, on a 
true spiritual level, all of humanity, there is level ground at the feet of Jesus. There are no, you know what I mean? Well, again, these weird, like, spiritual levels. You can leave that to, you know, honestly, like, other false religions and stuff. It's like, you've created some kind of tiers of spirituality. But scripturally speaking, I know we've even done that in the church. Like, we've kind of created these things, these, these statuses, even in our Christian culture and world. But, let me read this verse one more time. Um, James 1, 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away, right? The, the Christian identity is an enormous equalizer, right? It brings us all, all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. To whomever will, let him come. Enormous equalizer, right? Um, he humbles the exalted, and he exalts the humble. Can I get an amen? He, he comforts the afflicted, and he afflicts the comforted, right? Come on, somebody, right? Think about this. Now, I'm just going to draw two scenarios here in Scripture. To the rich young ruler, he said, sell all you have and distribute it to the poor. You know what I'm saying? And that man went away sorrowful, right? And then you look at, just pick any other example, just even in the Gospels. Right? If you even look at this, and you can put it up on the screens. But Mark chapter 12, verse 43, 44. And this is concerning the woman who gave her two mites, which isn't a lot of money. I don't know the exact conversion off the top of my head, but it's not much. And so she gave her two mites. Jesus was watching how people gave. And all these other people were giving away more than her. A higher quantity. Right? And so, so he calls his disciples to himself. I'm reading Mark 12, verse 43. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. Verse 44, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had for her, her whole livelihood she gave. All she had, her whole livelihood. And so here we go. Somebody say this with me. Say the gospel is a great equalizer. Say this with me. Say the Christian identity is an enormous equalizer. I know in our church culture, because we're fallen, we, we kind of, we create this tier system, man. Come on, we got to be honest. We create this status of sorts. And we can't bring our social status in the kingdom. Like it don't work that way. Come on now, somebody say amen. Jesus honored, celebrated, used this poor woman as an example to his disciples and said she gave more than all of them. That doesn't make mathematical sense, but it makes spiritual sense. Right? So great faith is, does not equate to great social status. Great faith does not equate, equate to great wealth. Great faith does not equate to great influence. A move of God is not create is not based on the size of the building, the amount of Instagram followers, or anything like that. Jesus said she gave more. You know what? In reality, she gave less. She actually gave less. But from God's perspective, she gave more. 
All right, great depth, great true spiritual depth does not equate to anything great in, in this world, right? Come on now. I, I think I think we, um, we we start to bring that spirit of the world in the church. You know what I'm saying? And and we got we got special seating for famous people. We got we got special rooms like green rooms for certain kinds of people. We don't let normal people in there. Come on now, somebody say amen. All right, let's look at this. Let's look at another example here. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14, it reads, and he spoke this parable to some, okay, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Say it with me again, folks. Say this with me. The Christian identity is a great equalizer. You might be great out there in society, but that doesn't make you great in the kingdom. You might be great out there doing what you're doing. That does not equate to greatness in the kingdom of God. And you might be what society would say a nobody, but you very well could be very great in God's eyes. <laughs> Come on now. Look at me. Read the Gospels, folks. Read the Gospels. And you'll see it time and time again. You'll see this time and time again. Jesus, time and time again, balanced out what was imbalanced in society in the kingdom. You know, in the early church, there's even documentation of this, historical documents that, that speak to the fact that there were actual slaves in society that were bishops in the church. So they were in places of great influence and authority in the kingdom, but they were actually slaves in society. Man, hallelujah. The kingdom of God does not play by the same rules of the world. Hence the title of this series, Don't Believe the Hype. Luke chapter 18, verse nine. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves and they were right, that they were righteous and despised others. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Not verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you, but I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Somebody say works. Somebody say performance. Verse 13, and the tax collector standing afar off could not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The kingdom of God, the ways of God, the church, the Christian identity is a great equalizer. Hallelujah. Don't get caught up in the culture narrative. All right, we got a lot of cultural narratives, okay? So this is kind of the main thought for today. Don't get caught up in the cultural narrative, but be about God's mandate. Don't get caught up in the cultural narrative. The cultural narrative in the church, the cultural narrative in politics, 
the cultural narrative in the world. We'll get caught up in all that. Come on, we need to stay clean from that. We need to stay in the presence of God. We need to stay humble before God. We need to keep just loving people. We need to stand in truth and speak it in love. We need to be merciful just as we receive mercy. Come on now, be in the world, but not of it. Don't get caught up in the cultural narrative, but be about God's mandate. And we're gonna talk about this, the cultural narrative versus kingdom mandate. I'm gonna say it again, cultural narrative versus kingdom mandate, all right? There's a narrative out there. There's all kind of narratives, all kind of storylines, all kind of norms, societal norms, what's acceptable, what's normal, right? But all that does not necessarily equate to what is right, what is holy, what is pure, what is true, what is of God, what honors God. Come on now, all right? So let's read this verse here. First Corinthians chapter one. I'm gonna read verse 18 to 25, and you're gonna see here, I'm gonna read this, I'm gonna read this. Hold on, let me just say something for a sec. But first Corinthians one, verse 18 to 25. Um, You'll notice this right here in this verse and other times, the Apostle Paul, uh, I mean, a lot of times, if, if you read the letters to the churches, he was, he was very much engaged in what was going on around him. He definitely did not have his head in the sand. He definitely didn't write these letters that were super spiritual, but he didn't really talk about nothing in the world. Didn't talk about what was really going on. Didn't talk about worldliness and specific sins in the world and ways of living in the world. I, the, the various I, idolatries and culture and whatever else was out there, he was very much present and aware. And so here it is again, you're gonna see this here. He's very specific about the cultural narrative in his day and he addresses it, okay? So here, let's read this. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Say it with me again, folks. Don't believe the hype. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Verse 22, here it is. The Jews request a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. Two very different cultural narratives based on people groups. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. Simple, it's the answer to every cultural narrative, every political narrative, every narrative, Fox News, every narrative, CNN News, every narrative of MSNBC, every narrative out there in this world, every narrative in the public school system, every narrative, every narrative even in church culture, that's just not God, it's not holy, but it's in church, it's culture, it's, 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 it's created, it, whatever, man-made. What is our answer? Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. Not church attendance, not church involvement, 
not church membership. We preach Christ crucified. Now here, here's, here's the responses of the various people in, in true context of the world this particular preacher was living in. It says, to the Jews, we're a stumbling block. To the Greeks, we're foolish. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Jews, looking for power. Greeks, looking for wisdom. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God stronger than men. It's all kind of identities, all kinds of pursuits out there. Right here in the context of this man's life, the Apostle Paul, he was involved in both and very aware of both. He was obviously part of the Sanhedrin. He learned Jewish leader, also a Roman citizen, very cultured, very aware, very engaged in his world, um, was very astute to culture, was not, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't them type of guys just hiding from what's going on. He's just very aware, okay? And he breaks it down. And it's, and, and it's, and it's like today, right? Like, we must engage the world we're in. And what do we do? Preach Christ crucified, right? Um, and you see all these narratives, and then it's, it's cool how he kind of brings out the reality of the world he's in and the where, where people are at and what they're seeking, what, what these people were seeking, the, the reality of the world, the people he was leading to Christ, Jews and Greeks, both having varying views and perspectives on life and value systems and all that, right? So here's, here's the kind of the, the main point here is, is only, this goes for every human being on the face of the earth, only through Christ will your storyline have a happy ending. Somebody say amen. I'm going to say it again. Only through Christ will your storyline have a happy ending. The cultural narrative of the Jews was, we want a sign. We want power. They were pragmatists. We want results. It's going to get us somewhere. And you, you study the ancient world, right? The Greeks want wisdom, contemplation, beauty. Right? You know, even the early church writers, it, they, they were Hellenistic. They were very heavily influenced by Greek culture, man. Their books are so long, but they're barely saying anything, right? No, you know what I mean? Meaning, you know, like those books are so hard to read because they just go on and on and on and on. And you're like, okay, the main idea is this, but it's just they were just caught up in, um, you know, philosophical debates. I mean, they, they were just you know, into talking and, and philosophy and all these other things. And just, it got, you know, it's just, it's a lot. A lot of thinking, a lot of words, 
just going on and on about stuff, right? And so there it is, the cultural narrative, the Greeks. And, and, and um, here it is, you know. Um, the, here's my point. The cross confronts the idolatry of the day. That's what it does. Of, of at this point in history, not too far after death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? It's the same generation of people, many of them still alive, that were firsthand accounts of Christ. All right? Walking the earth. And it stands true today. The cross, the cross, not church culture, not, not, not our method and way of church. And I'm not saying those things don't exist, nor, nor am I throwing them out, per se. I'm just saying it's the cross of Christ. It is Christ crucified that confronts the idolatry of the day. You know why the cross can confront the idolatry of the day? It's because the cross is the answer. It's the answer. It is the answer. So we, in Christ, we, we confront the, uh, Christ crucified confronts the idolatries in us, the idolatries in our life, the things that we are putting in a place that only God belongs, right? And so in our world today, right, there's a lot of ideas, ideologies, belief systems. And just like in the ancient world, Greek culture, um, traditional Jewish culture, you know, we have a culture here in our world and the cross confronts it, confronts it. It's the answer, it's the answer, right? So um, if we even look at our political ideologies in this part of the world, political uh, parties, political platforms, right? If, you, if we were to look at them, from a theological perspective, they're, they're package deals, right? And I know there's nuances to this, but please allow me to explain. If this is what a political party says in, in our world here, in the Western world, if, if you identify with our party, you have to take all of what we give you and you can't accept anything from the other party. You know what I'm saying? It's a package deal. You know what I mean? But I'm like, wait, hold up. I don't, I don't love your party as much as I love Jesus. I don't love your ideology as much as I love Jesus, right? This is, this, is the, this is the Christian perspective. We talked about this last week. We worship God and him only shall we serve. They may be there. They obviously have their place in our society. There's obviously a reason they're there. There's obviously a reason they're, they're, they're influential. But, but I, don't, I don't need to take all of it. Come on now. Uh, um, it's kind of like, you know, when I um, order food from somewhere, typically it's more like I find this situation sometimes in barbecue spots. 
or some kind of plate place where you can get a combo plate. You know what I'm saying? Anybody out there like a combo plate? I like me a good combo plate. You kind of save a little bit of money, you get, to, you get to drink with it sometimes. But you ever notice in some places though you get a combo plate, you can't substitute the greens for another piece of cornbread. They won't give you another piece of cornbread. You gotta take everything on the combo plate. And sometimes I'll be honest with you, I wanna switch out one of those, right? I know it's food, it's very trivial, but I, I believe this applies sometimes to the cultural narratives out there is, is nah, like when ordering food, I like to substitute an item on my combo plate for something that isn't clearly put as part of the combo plate. And they might be like, well, don't order a combo plate then, <laughs> right? Well, that's what we got. You want the combo deal, you gotta take what's on the combo, right? And so in a political party, same thing. It's like, wait, hold on, no, no, no. So look it, so, so in those situations, I'm talking about food still, it's like, man, I gotta go all the cart because I'm gonna pick and choose what I want, what I think is good for me. Come on now. And sometimes I think we as Christians, man, we, we take the whole combo plate, hold up, because you got some stuff on that plate that, that Jesus ain't happy with. Somebody say, man, you got some stuff on that political plate that, that, that Jesus ain't with. I mean, you, you're, you're waving the flag of something that, that ain't Christ. And, and, and look it, we gotta filter everything through the cross. But we preach Christ crucified. And I'm gonna approach anything out there in this world, politics, entertainment, um, any idea, ideology, belief system, whatever, I'm approaching it a la carte. You know what I'm saying? I ain't taking the combo plate. I'm not gonna take everything that the Republican Party says I must take. I'm not gonna take everything the Democratic Party says, no. No, it's all the card up in here. And as, a, as believers, right, we don't have the liberty to approach God's word a la carte. Right, we can't. We don't have the right to pick and choose what we want. We gotta take the thing, this ain't, like the word of God is, is not a buffet, right? It's, it's all, right? The old saints used to say, he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And we approach God, his word, his ways, Christ in his person. Jesus is Lord. He is preeminent. Don't approach him a la carte. I take all of him. Take all of him. I submit to all that he says. And I say yes to all of God's word. All right? And so, conversely, we as Christians must not just absorb any ideology and hold anything in esteem above God's word. Come on, somebody. The gospel and the call of every Christian is comprehensive. That's why it's called the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. We don't have the liberty to choose the convenient truth. Sometimes if it's convenient, it's possible it isn't truth. God clearly calls us Look at, I'm, I'm gonna look at the, we're gonna talk about these things. Come on now. We preach Christ crucified. 
Jesus died for everybody. His blood was shed on us, washed, cleansed, to whomever will, let him come. Jesus is Lord. Give, give you my life. Save me. I'm yours. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. Come on now, come on now, somebody. Therefore, we glorify God in our body and our spirit, which belong to God. Right? Just all one of the benefits of the atonement is, is that we're redeemed, purchased through payment. We are not the devil's property. We are God's property. Right? We belong to him. Look at everybody in this world is serving somebody, serving something. Something or someone is your God. The question is, is your God God? <laughs> Come on now. We, we're all serving somebody. You know, they say, you say, you know, everybody's a fool for somebody. The question is, who are you a fool for? Right? So, so we, don't have, we don't have the liberty as Christians. We don't, have the, we don't have the right to just pick and choose convenient truth or truth that might be convenient. We must take what is inconvenient. Right? God clearly calls us to have compassion for the outcast and marginalized. And one particular party out here in our, in our nation tends to seem that they kind of live in this space. And we are called to have compassion for the outcast and marginalized. And we're called to have a heart and a love for the unborn. It's not political. They might be politicized, but these things here are biblical. They're biblical. This isn't about politics. I'm not, I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm, I'm telling you what the Bible says about things in society that are hot buttons. They are sensitive. There is complexity surrounding it. There is politics surrounding. There are those involved in these things, pushing these things for the wrong reason. But we as believers, look at we don't have the right to just pick and choose one or the other. We, we, we must take it all. And even if it makes us unpopular, unpopular for some, so what? Who cares if people don't like you because you live and you, you believe what is right in the eyes of God and right for, for people, God's heart for people, all people. So... So, so it's not, and it's not just that we care for the unborn, right? But we're also concerned about the living conditions of those that are born, right? From the, you know, it's that, it's that we value as God does all of humanity. You can look at a political party and say, yeah, well, they're only pushing that because of this. And you're right. And then you can look at the other political party and say, they're only pushing this because of that. And that very well could be right. But we see in the scripture these things, all of them, as politicized they are, they are near and dear to the heart of God. And they should be near and dear to God's people. All of them, right? Um, so, it, you know, that we, that we value as God does all of humanity, you might have heard this very familiar phrase, from the womb to the tomb, all humanity, all people. Right, all those things. And some people might be, you know, I see 
And even the Christian world, it's like you got certain Christians that they're loud about that one. But this one over here is in the Bible too, but they ain't gonna be loud about that one because this one's in a different political party. We don't have that liberty. Come on now. Come on now. What is truth? What is the heart of God? Sometimes I think we have to extract the politics out of real issues and say biblically, okay, yes, this matters. Don't get clouded. Don't get caught up in the narrative. Be about God's mandate. I said, don't get caught up in the narrative. In the narrative. Don't get caught up in the narrative. Be about God's mandate. Here's another one. Hot button. Sexual orientation. Gender. Right? God has clearly defined the parameters of sex, sexuality, purity, the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Right? So there's just, in the scripture, there's just truth concerning this. And then it's like, so how do we love and care for and disciple people and reach people that are in sexual sin? Right? And so it's not just that we stand here and declare in the open square the truth of this, but we must back up the truth with love and the love with truth. We, we, I feel like sometimes we, we, we compromise truth and we call it love. And we compromise love and say, no, it's the truth. And I believe in Christ, preach the cross. Christ crucified is, is Christ the person. This isn't a, a political war. This is not a political war. This is Christ crucified. Just like that um, Jesus, man, when, when he justified and, and forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery, sexual sin, religious community judging a person for sexual sin, Obviously, the woman did commit sexual sin. She was guilty, presumably, because at the end, Jesus said, none of these people stone you, either do I. Go and sin no more. So Jesus forgave, gave her a way out, but he did not compromise the truth that you are living in sin. So go, you're free, you're forgiven, but sin no more. And don't allow an ideology or a cultural narrative to rob you of the pure message of Christ crucified, right? Here it is, my last point. The cross fulfills the eternal need of the human soul. Why does the cross, as I said before, why can we confront the cultural narrative with Christ crucified, the preaching of the cross? Why? Because the cross is the answer. It's the answer. The he said it. He said it here. Okay? I'm going to go back here real quick. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read verse 23 and 24 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. This is his answer to the cultural narrative. An opposing narrative said that. Tension between these two people. Much like tension between Republicans and Democrats now. But we preach Christ crucified. Here's the answer. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Actually, that's the problem. That's not the answer. So the cross, man, 
If people are stumbling because of the cross and people are calling us foolish because of the cross, well, all of that's not going to go away. As a Christian, you need to learn how to weather the, the storm of other people stumbling over the cross and some just thinking we're idiots. Can't get, can't get no amens today. Here's the answer. But to those who are called, those that God is touching, those that Christ is being revealed to, both Jew, both Jews and Greeks, both Democrats and Republicans, both rich and poor, the great equalizer at the cross, both, both, all Hispanics, Asians, Americans, Canadians, black, white, Cambodian, Chinese, Taiwanese, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the, and the wisdom of God. What is he saying? The cross fulfills and provides the very thing these people groups are seeking. They're just seeking it through the wrong way. Say, man, the answer is the cross. The cross fulfills the eternal need of the human soul. The cross not only confronts the idolatry and culture, it fulfills what people are really looking for. The cross fulfills the very thing people are seeking. Psalm 145, verse 16. You open your hands and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you right now in Jesus' name. Lord, deliver us of the cultural narratives. Deliver us of any ideology or mindset that is diametrically opposed to the cross, that is contrary to your heart, God, and your word. Deliver us, Lord, so we can be able ministers and, and ambassadors for Christ. Empower us by the Holy Spirit to preach the cross, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message. And my prayer is that you will change your world as a result. If you're ever in the LA area, join us for one of our weekend gatherings. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Peace.